Hello, this is uh, Jack Spillane, and this is All Politics. Uh, we're going to do a little Christmas program today. And with me is my good friend, Father Kevin Harrington. Uh, Kevin, Father Kevin, is the um, pastor of St. Francis of Assisi Parish uh, here in the West End of New Bedford, and he is also a member of the Board of Trustees yes. of New Bedford Free Public Library. So, welcome to All Politics, Father. Thank you, Jack. No politics, please. No politics. <laughs> this is just a Christmas program, and we're going to talk about Christmas and, uh, you know, what Christmas means. Uh, so I thought we would just start, you know, just down home, you know, what does Christmas mean to you personally, Father? Well, you know, I grew up in New Bedford, and uh, no one knew whether they were rich or poor or middle class, because the fact is, when you look under the tree, um, up until the first nine years of my life, there was no television telling my parents what they should or should not buy. But my own experience was more the songs that kind of got me into the mood. And uh, I didn't really appreciate the mass because it was all in Latin, so I didn't know what was going on. And uh, I went to a Catholic school, and uh, they basically were so discipline-oriented and I was such a difficult child to control, I was more afraid of being hit than I was about Santa Claus coming to town. Yeah. You were a difficult child to control, Father? <laughs> well, the fact is, I guess today they have drugs. <laughs> ADHD or whatever. I didn't like being called any names, but I'm glad I wasn't, you know, called some of those names that are used by the psychiatric community. I should, I should interrupt here and explain that our... Uh, video equipment is rudimentary, so it requires us to speak up. Oh, all right. As if we're projecting with the... All right, fine. <laughs> fine. I will, I will not speak yeah. ill of Catholic schools now. Okay. So Christmas was uh, less commercial, perhaps, before television? Not only that, I was just entering my teen years when I fell in love with Charlie Brown that Christmas. And they've been talking about the whole commercialization of it. And I'm 13 at the time, or 14, and... Uh, I recognized then and there when Linus did the gospel reading of Luke, I said, my goodness, this is a cartoon, and they're doing religion on air. And then it occurred to me that the people who had money were making things the center of their life. And in my family, there was always this thing about you don't judge others because of what they have or what they don't have. And so Christmas was always some kind of idea. An idea, of course, that you didn't fully understand. But you knew it was something that went beyond buying things. Not that I didn't want something under the tree, but, you know, I knew that other kids would come and they would say, I got this and I got this and I got this. Sometimes I lied and I said, yeah, I got that too. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, my definition of Christmas really involves the family. And I think that's true of anybody's Christmas and everybody's Christmas is such that the happiest Christmas is when they were a child and they want to pass that on. And so when you speak to people who come from other countries, you say, I was just with uh, a fellow, Ken Hockman, and his wife was there and I said, tell me about Swiss and what they did for Christmas. And she went right up and of course they assimilated later on. So I'm sure the people who are listening and watching to this they define Christmas according to something that their parents and grandparents did and the way it was passed down. So you grew up in an Irish Catholic family? Irish Portuguese, Irish enough. Portuguese my, family. My uh, grandparents came over 
both from Ireland and Portugal, and met here and um, made for a difficult existence because sometimes the Portuguese and the Irish, they don't exactly think much of each other until they get to know individuals. Well, I imagine they have different stomachs at Christmas dinner. Uh, well, my, fa my father being Irish and my mother cooking, for some reason my father was tyrannical enough of saying, we are to eat meat and potatoes. So it really had to come down to, you know, linguine and cherise and all that. That wasn't a part of our tradition. So chicken Mozambique was not the Christmas dinner? No, no, Christmas no. Dinner. You went to the uh, A&P, and uh, my dad would talk to the Irish butcher and get, you know, Salisbury steak, which was a glorified hamburger. And everything was done on potatoes, because potatoes was, they were very cheap in terms of feeding a family of six. And then, of course, it was party night, and it was a block of dates. Someone that came over from Portugal, and that was supposed to be sweets. So you had that instead of candy. Well, well Christmas dinner wasn't Salisbury steak, was it? Uh, you didn't have a roast uh, or something like that? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was uh, turkey. Turkey, okay. You know, it's, uh, it, it's a situation in which I look at Christmas from the point of view of as a child, as an adult, in my adulthood, it's always been a different Christmas than someone who would have children or a wife to share it with. And um, my definition of a good Christmas is when I can sit back and see people give to me more than just gifts. You can just see the gift of faith. And you would like to think that maybe you were part of nurturing that faith, but you know that you're in a long line of people and you stand, you know, as Newton said, shoulders of giants. And you're passing something on just as parents are passing something on to their children. So you grew up in the late 50s, early 60s? Yeah. Uh, in I was born in 1950. <laughs> Two weeks shy of 1951, I would feel a lot younger if I was born in 51. And he then could say, well, I'm not that much younger than my father. <laughs> so you, you must have had a recent birthday. Yeah. Uh, Christmas time birthday. So in the late 50s, early 60s, what was New Bedford like at Christmas time? Were there all the lights you have now, a lot of uh, religious ceremonies? Yeah, I, I would say that unfortunately, New Bedford was a divided city in terms of ethnicities. So when you say, what was Christmas like? Uh, there were people who were coming over here and their grandparents brought over traditions and there was a kind of insularity so that you would think of this person was Polish, this person was Portuguese, this person was French, this person was German. So when you met someone and you come up to your parents and you say, hey, I just met so-and-so, all your father wanted to know was the last name. <laughs> because New Bedford was a very ethnocentric city. It reminds me, in Dorchester they would say, what parish? Yeah. Right. So in New Bedford, they might say what parish, and then they would know your ethnicity once you said the parish. But does it get any better? And I would, when people come up to me when I don't have the Roman collar on, and I'm often seen at a local coffee shop, I won't mention the name unless I get a free cup of coffee in return. But um, uh, they know that I'm a priest, and it's my time off. And uh, the first thing they say is, uh, "What's your name, and where you're from?" And I said to myself, I am Joseph, and I am from Nazareth. Because first of all, <laughs> when you say New Bedford, they figure you're working class. And then, you know, the idea of uh, what's your name is they want to tell someone 
that they talk to someone, and this is what the name is, like Moses. What name am I going to give when someone asks? So I find that sometimes people say, well, where did you be? live means a lot. And when they start jumping to conclusions, and I'm not putting down people who will, I'll, I'll say if you live from some of the wealthy suburban areas, immediately a wealthy suburban person perks up and they think you've done better in MCAS and perhaps you're kind of a better person because you have more things. And then I'm saying I have a lot more things than I did when I was growing up. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing, uh, the greatest thing that I have is given to me and other people have treasures and they can pass it on to their children. For some reason, that gift that I identified with myself was the gift of faith. My name is not Faith Harrington, but uh, I, I do feel that that was something in which my uh, family uh, had a great respect for uh, the religion. And uh, I certainly did become a priest to uh, please them. It's was Midnight Mass and um, uh, the Christmas, uh, the uh, Advent services, were they elaborate uh, back then? I don't even remember Advent, to be honest with you. I don't think it was such a big deal back then. And uh, I think the whole situation is you were so focused on your uh, daily tasks that if you went to church, whether it was one season or another, you know, you wouldn't notice the, uh, the color of the vestment and the wreath was no big deal. So I think that uh, I judged things in terms of being in prison. So the fact is every time I had a school vacation, that was release. <laughs> when you're in the classroom, when you're in the classroom, it's all discipline, which always was my bad posture. You sit, you don't move, and I try to be an altar boy. And my two brothers were altar boys, but they said, you can't be an altar boy because of your Latin. They were being kind. It was because I couldn't shut up and I couldn't sit still. Some people say that's why I became a priest. <laughs> So, Father, you, you still have uh, Midnight Mass at, at um, St. Francis of Assisi over in the West End, uh, but some of the churches have gone away from that. And I think that's sad. Why do you continue it? Um, I, I think the main thing is, is that when you look at what Christmas is to people, it's them looking back. And I think that the happier times in their life should be something that they associate with church. And for many of them, they tell me, well, they remember the first time that they were able to stay up that late. So that's a silly reason to go, but it was also to extend through the whole night a sense of anticipation. Just like sometimes you're allowed to open a gift before Christmas Eve. It was this thing about, well, it may not be Christmas Day, but it's a part of a tradition. And it's mostly the older people that and then, of course, the older people don't want to stay up that late. And the young people, well, I think that their lives have become not such that they're any bad or good. It's what do they really feel they need. And I don't think at this time they feel they need things like a midnight mass. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to midnight mass, I thought, oh, at the stroke of midnight, Jesus is going to be here. It seemed like it was a magical thing to it. And... If I remember correctly, because I, I will acknowledge I'm probably not uh, practicing Catholic now, but, but uh, uh, they, lit the, they lit the candles so the church right, could right, light up. Right. Uh, uh, um, they still do that? Light the candles? It's a 
it's a situation where um, midnight mass in our parish has everything to do with the choir. They practice over a month. In fact, they have parishioners who are seasonal members of the choir because the choir is growing older and they have a few young people that come and it complements the voices. There's not many men voices, etc. So uh, I really think the highlight for the choir is 11.30 because that's when they have a concert before the midnight. And I said once, I said, I think it should be videotaped and then be passed around and everyone could be told, look, this is what you're missing. And it's not a showy thing. It just is something in which it was part of their tradition. And I'm in an Italian-American church. And as you know, there's not that many Italian-Americans now that moved out. But they really cherish the Midnight Mass. And they'll do an Italian Christmas song and things like that. Even though you look about and you say, wow, there are no Italians there. The faith has been passed on. So that when they say St. Francis of Assisi, some of the older people say, oh, that's the Italian church. But everyone knows it's the West End church. Yeah. And it's a small church. And some of the large churches, and I grew up when St. Julie's was not around, and it's a new parish. And so, really, you went to the Irish parish, which was St. Lawrence. Then if you were French, you went to Sacred Heart. You were Portuguese, you went to St. John the Baptist. And they were all small churches that have closed that you can name, you know, Holy Rosary and you can go on and on. But the concept was you didn't have an automobile. There was a real strict, if you didn't go to church on Sunday, it, you, that was it. And so the thing is, is that they had a trolley and um, that was the only way they could get from point A to point B. And that's why there were so many different uh, places for churches. Do you remember the trolley in New Bedford? No. Not that old. <laughs> Father, I, one other thing I thought we could talk about was um, the historical Christmas. Because, uh, you know, we have these documentaries that you see now, and people have different ideas about the historical Christmas. Uh, 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 you know, I, I know you have an advanced degree in theology. Are you, are you able to talk a little bit about historical Christmas, uh, the first Christmas? Well, I'll let you start because you're, what, two, three years younger than me? So you have the same history as I do. <laughs> I do. Um, it didn't take as well with me. <laughs> actually, I, 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 I think that when people say, was Jesus born on December 25th? kind of reminds me of when people can call and they say, what time's your midnight mass? And I say, sometime between 11.59 p.m. and 12.01. <laughs> so when they say, what exact year was Jesus? Well, they base that on some kind of theory about the stars and earthquakes and things that would be uh, markers of time. But uh, the main markers were the emperor. And that's why you have it born in such and such a year. All the infancy narratives, there are two of them, Matthew and Luke. Matthew was for the Jewish people. Luke was for the whole world. So Matthew, the gospel. Yeah, and the Matthew gospel is you start with Abraham, with Luke, you go right back to Adam. But with Luke, all of a sudden you have words describing Jesus that would be used for Caesar. Wonder child and all this. And, you know, when you had an emperor, they had to be a star that would be there to prove that a person was the emperor. So that was all based upon astrological uh, predictions. And Matthew and Luke, they both have uh, Jesus being born in the stable? 
in a manger, but John doesn't mention the nativity at all. No. And and what Mark Mark doesn't either. No. Mark states that well, it's kind of too much for me to go into. Mark was the very first written of the Gospels. And it's very condensed. And then uh, what happened was you have one that's very Jesus is the Son of Man, which of course is that uh, when the missionary was command was given, it was you go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. So the fact is, to begin with, uh, the people would ask, is this Jesus? And then they would say, well, here's the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament, and here's how he fulfills all the prophecies related to him being the Messiah. The then prophecies when you go, of the Old Testament. Exactly. Then when you get into Luke, it's uh, the idea of being more the second person of the Blessed Trinity, more the idea of being the Son of God as opposed to the Son of Man. And, and, and that's the emphasis. And it's always been fascinating to me that you have, when did the wise men arise? I remember my mother teaching me when I was a kid that uh, January 6th was Little Christmas, is what she called it. She said, oh yeah, well, that's when the wise men arrived. And, and in fact, Orthodox have traditionally celebrated Christmas in January. Is that, is that accurate? In fact, some Latin cultures as well. Uh, just to, uh, one of the things that Jack and I are, have often talked about, and I've mentioned that on my gravestone, they will have these two words, I digress. So let me digress. <laughs> Father is going to digress. This whole epiphany thing, significant, is that the time in which Israel had a significant king was Solomon. And so this was a recognition of someone who would be a successor to David. So in order to please a king, we would bring the finest gifts. And uh, this is something where you say, well, did it or did it not occur? Well, in order to make people understand how great Jesus was, you have to talk about stars and earthquakes and things that would be East. Yeah, the, the whole thing is, is this is what occurred when a great emperor was born. Well, that's not what Jesus was all about. And Jesus did not fulfill all the prophecies of being the Messiah. If anything, he fulfilled another prophecy, which was to be the suffering servant. Because to the Jewish people of the day, they say, this is your king. And he uh, suffered such, you know, the way he did. And, uh, you know, that was just too much for them. And then uh, when you went beyond uh, that, which Luke does, then the whole thing is, how can you believe that uh, Jesus rose from the dead? Because you're talking now philosophy and logic. So what was a scandal to the Jewish people was his ignominious death. By the way, no one died that way. You know, everyone died in another way of execution. So, I mean, it was just something that was so contrary to what the Jewish people were expecting of the Messiah. Does the three wise men story illustrate um, that Jesus was for all races and all peoples, mm -hmm. uh, from the East, from the West, from Africa, well, from the Asia? the thing is, is, Israel has always been uh, sort of cast aside in terms of being the center of the world. But at the time it was Solomon was rich, then it was recognized as something that was an entity. Other than that, it's always been a part of some other great, you know, the Babylonians, the Persians, uh, you know, that whole Syrians and all that, they were always uh, conquered and uh, they were in a strategic location 
And then to be able to say, uh, we have our own king, that was a great moment. And then, of course, with that came the respect that they longed for. And uh, they basically were saying, you know, if we have a Messiah, the Messiah was going to bring us back to the days of David and Solomon, which we would be considered uh, people who would have a savior, a lord, etc. Because what was happening is there was so many pagan gods that they had to say, uh, we have one God, and Jesus points to that in his life. And the whole thing is monotheism goes Abraham, you know, and uh, the three great monotheistic religions are, you know, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. And uh, the concept of one God is really something that is the most significant moment in uh, history in terms of uh, understanding of who God was or who God is or who God will be. So one God, is that a big message of, of the nativity? Uh, uh, the, the concept, I think, of monotheism is primarily that we don't have to turn elsewhere in order to find our meaning in life. And uh, in our own day, there's a lot of uh, crypto going on. When I say crypto, it means people who are basically saying I'm a Christian, when that isn't really what they are, but they've been stamped by birth with this, and they haven't really claimed it for themselves. So people say, well, I was raised Catholic. You know, you raised chickens. <laughs> raised Catholic. Well, that's born Catholic, baptized. And sadly, sometimes it doesn't even go that far now. People aren't having their children baptized. So the concept of being stamped means that from the very beginning, we are destined to something that's greater than anything we could imagine. That's why we look off to the stars, things that are greater than ourselves. So when one says, this is the sum all of being and all this, then you say, well, I want something, then you turn to God. So, you know, it's things in which you have different gods for different things that you want. I want to go back to the wise men. All right. <laughs> the, the, wise um, guy. <laughs> my, my show. Uh, so, uh, the uh, Greek uh, populations and the Lebanese populations in New Bedford, are they celebrating uh, the, the Epiphany they, as, they as make, Christmas? They make a, yeah, they have different traditions. Okay. Um, I will keep it on that whole Epiphany thing because... For a couple of decades, I directed Spanish apostolates in Nebethet and in uh, Taunton, Attleboro. They're the happiest days. You know, always you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s, that's when you really, yeah, they minister to you. And they would always celebrate it on the Epiphany. And uh, I worked closely with the young people. And so we would have uh, clothes, we would have toys. And they were all leftover clothes and leftover toys, which people had collected. And then I would go, and they would give it. It was a very nice lady who uh, ran a very fancy clothing shop. She was Jewish, and she knew those kids were never wear clothes that were of high quality. So she'd say, "Oh, come down to the store." And I was able, to, and then a year down the road, two years, the the, the thing would barely fit. But you knew that this person uh, knew that these children needed it. 
that these children are going to celebrate Christmas January 6th, and that is something, when I say that, I mean the aspect of celebrating it in one way. They celebrate Epiphany, they celebrate Christmas, and it was just a joy to have two Christmas, you know, during that period of time. To be able to go home, celebrate Christmas with my own family, and then be able to say, well, you know, I can celebrate Christmas with people who are kind of cast aside. And uh, one of the happiest Christmas I had was I was with my religious education children. They were in Spanish, and uh, one was a group from Guatemala. The other one was a group from Puerto Rico, which please keep in your prayers, Puerto Rico. And what happens is the Guatemalan children were using popsicle sticks, and they were teaching the Puerto Ricans how to make the stable. And it was just beautiful the, the way all of a sudden Christmas from two different traditions were coming together. And the kids that were a little bit, uh, because when they're young, they stick together with their family. And suddenly you have the epiphany that separates them from the Anglos. And then you have a tradition which is different. And they're able to come together. So years down the road, you see these Puerto Ricans who are using popsicle sticks and they're making that for the nativity scene. And that's what I think is great. And when we get into all the polarization that we're in today, in which uh, I won't go into because the bishop might call me. No, it's just too controversial. As I said, I'm not going to talk about politics. Then I thought that would Jack. Yeah. So, you know, this kind of country has never been so polarized in my lifetime. Yeah. And I'm saying Christmas is something that in my experience, brought parishes together. And I was pastor of St. Hedwig's, which was a Polish parish in the South End, and the waste of Senora de Guadalupe, which we now call Holy de Guadalupe. And all of a sudden, you have the Polish people and the Latin people, Latin, what we call them Hispanics, Hispanics, and the Polish people coming together in the church basement, and they're sharing their traditions. It doesn't get any better than that, Jack. Pumpkins and salsa. Absolutely. <laughs> and, 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 and it's sharing meals, and all of a sudden, people who would say, you know, the, you know, the Hispanics are taking over St. Hedwig's, or, you know, this, all these stereotypes between the Polish, it all went because of traditions. And all of a sudden, you say, well, this is the way Polish people celebrate Christmas. They take an interest, and then vice versa, because it's like a neutral zone. Sure. And I just think that's what, you know, people say, what does Christmas mean to you? In New Bedford, it was one thing where it was growing up, you were rich or poor, you were this nationality or that nationality, and you went to a situation, as you said, you, are you a member of this parish, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's kind of or one of the things that when people say, the good old days. A lot of things that were not the good old days there. And we, through nostalgia, we, we make that, oh, we forget about this. And we make last, all those Christmas great. There are things that are going on now that didn't, oh, standard times, thinking about all the people in the media. I don't know how many years that's been done, but that is something that the city can be proud of. Yeah, I, I like nothing better than to read those media's families' right. uh, stories because... Um, when I read them, it reminds me of my own small life. Right. Uh, uh, there are many, many people right here in this city who have circumstances a lot tougher than right. I do. And um, uh, I'll never forget one story. I think it was last year. Uh, I think it was written by our sports reporter, Brent. Right. Uh, he went into a, a, uh, an apartment 
and there was literally no furniture, no mm -hmm. food, no clothing. It was just bare with a mattress and uh, uh, very few other things. And you don't think of people in circumstances like that but right here in the city, but there are. Because it's such a small parish, I won't go into details, but I'm involved with decorating this morning, this morning. And for two of those women, it'll be their first Christmas without their beloved husband, you know? So you know their families are coming together to support them, but to know that you were there when they were sick, you were there beyond the funeral, you establish a relationship, and your heart is saddened because you know that that person is the first time they're not with their child, grandchildren, and there's this thing that kind of hovers over their Christmas, but to know that you are a part of alleviating some of that, or at least ameliorating it, uh, it's a great feeling. So uh, I have one final question to, uh, to, to wrap up, and, and this is not meant to be political, but it's just meant to acknowledge the circumstances that we're all in now. Uh, most people would describe this as a secular era. Uh, people... Um, don't go to church as much as they used to. Uh, uh, in the media, there isn't nearly as much um, religious focus on Christmas as there was even when I was growing up, um, which is the same narrative as yourself. Uh, uh, how do you um, uh, bring forth your message in, in the secular era? What, what, are, the, what are the challenges uh, to doing that? What, what secrets uh, to your success? When, I, success? when I hear the word challenge, uh, it's kind of a dressy word for problem. We don't say problem anymore, we say a challenge. And I think that's one of the things is we need to confront it and not minimize it or rationalize it in any way and say, listen, this is something that's wrong. And I think that that involves the wish of the dollar bill. And you just have to say, uh, if you say that we're a wonderful country because our stock market is you know going way to the top. Well, that's one way of being wonderful. And then when you take your eye off that, then you see another world. And then you say, well, all these people who are saying, well, my 401k is all this and that. You have to say, okay, who do you trust? Now, if you trust the money, then the last year has been a great year. Now, if you trust something that's should be cherished more than money, then you look at what has happened in Las Vegas, Puerto Rico, Virgin Islands, you know, Florida, Texas, and then you say, is this a wonderful year? And I think if you're very money-oriented, then you separate yourself from people, and you need to be confronted for that, because that's the problem. And if you're hurting, and you realize that Christmas is something that you can get through, because you have faith, then that perhaps gets back to the question of who do you trust? And very quickly, I have a good friend in Puerto Rico, and uh, he has to go to a mall so he can get to a phone to call me, and he did call me for my birthday, and, you know, the one thing that he said was, all those brats, he's referring to the youngsters, he says, they put those darn things away, the phones, and he says, they're learning to get to know their grandparents, people who should be teaching in the school, but they can't get through all those hoops. They're picking up a book, not a device, and they're teaching their children because they don't want to see them lose a year of schooling. And then the idea of uh, suddenly all the people who were in need but didn't cry out for need, 
you're not walking by them anymore. You're seeing them. So he's looking at this as a blessing. And I say, this person's a friend, he's a person of great faith. But to begin with, he was someone who loved his family. And um, I shouldn't say this, or I shouldn't say this. It sounds like, he says, I'm taking names. I almost said his name. I said, how can you take names, you know? That's not right, you know? Because he's taking names of everyone that's leaving Puerto Rico at the moment of need. But I know him, you know, uh, a day or two, you know, forgive those people. But, you know, this this is a kind of pride. I know when he went by the Vietnam War, because he served 112 years, and he said, you know, look at that wall. See the names of people from Puerto Rico. They didn't want to be there, some of them. They were drafted. And we're America. And, uh, you know, they just look at it from the point of view of we're now thrown aside because uh, we're not on the, the you know front page anymore. But you don't have power. You don't know what you miss. You know, waiting in line for diesel so you can get your generators. And he's so grateful now because he doesn't have to wait that long in line. And he's saying, you know, I'm so happy to hear that you're having a wonderful Christmas. I'm saying, wow, you know, I don't know if I would be that noble. But he so much loves his family, and he's seeing his family get through things. And I think that when we talk about, you know, being poor and things like that, and that I'll be as happy as Christmas, what I did was I sent him an email, and I hope that it'll arrive, and I don't know when he'll get his power back. And it's... Um, Bashelli, which is his favorite singer, and it's uh, in Spanish, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, you know, and the thing is, to them, when they hear Santa Claus is coming to town, to them, it's Jesus Christ, and it's just a wonderful thing, because they can reach out to everybody with that joy of being a child, Now I'm not uh, telling you to, you know, Google Bashelli, and, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town, but you say, wow, just to be able to think that when he turns on that computer or goes to that phone, and that's going to be the first thing he hears is he's going to open that email and it's going to know those children, Michelle, they had a, a Christmas, you know, and I, it just touches me that he can't say Merry Christmas to me. And I just hope that there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, I've had some very, very difficult Christmas, but those are the Christmas in which we've grown closer to each other and we really understand the Christmas spirit because we're not distracted by material things. So, you know, I sound like the whole Charlie Brown, you know, the materialism. But when you start hearing about, you know, you know, Black Thursday and all that, you know, Cyber Monday and all this. So they want to clean out the inventory to see what really sells. So then they can sell more during the Christmas season. And, you know, I look at this and I say... What other country in the world would do this to Christmas? They don't. So there's something about us that, you know, needs to be confronted. So there you go. Uh, uh, that's a, a nice Christmas message from Father Kevin Harrington of uh, Our Lady, uh, Our Lady uh, uh, St. Francis of Assisi uh, Parish in the West End of New Bedford. Uh, there are other things to think about at Christmas besides Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Uh, and some of them might be... Um, the people in Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. uh, some of whom are in New Bedford now because of the terrible conditions there. So thank you, Father, for um, coming on and, and, and uh, uh, trusting me not to talk about politics. And um, Well, it's your show. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Feliz Navidad and Merry Christmas.